Hello, hello everyone. So let's get some final introductions in order. So for those who don't know me, uh, my name's Chris Bennett. Uh, I'm the managing director of our knowledge team here at Evolution. Uh, we specialize in helping companies scale by providing awesome tech, data, product freelancers across the whole knowledge region. Um, lucky enough today, I'm joined by Saxo, who's one of the founders over at Handy Hand. We're based in Denmark. For those, by the way, who have been listening to this on the podcast, uh, thank you for your continued support. Please do click subscribe if you haven't done so already. And, and like I said before, if you're uh, with us live, feel free to put some questions in the right-hand side. Uh, let's get straight into our guest today, Erling Saxo. Um, could you introduce yourself, please? Sure thing. Yeah, um, as you said, I'm Saxo the co-founder and the CEO of HandyHand. And I guess I could say a little bit about HandyHand just quickly. And HandyHand is the biggest platform for getting odd tasks done in Denmark. So that's anything from hanging a shelf, putting up a lamp, handyman stuff inside, outside the house. But also if you need someone to walk your dog or uh, the other day we even had who had their nails and their hamster uh, clipped. So it's, it goes very broad, IT jobs too. And so we've sort of helped facilitate these tasks, our website and our app. we do. Perfect, so, um, so tell us, uh, you may have obviously spoken before. Yeah. Tell us the origin of this company. All right, so if I have to rewind all the way to the start of this, um, you could say that I think the, the very, very early stages of the business came about when I was a child because my dad was actually, you could say, a sort of jack of all trades for a handful of folks around our town where we grew up. And I saw that, that his service was something that people just, they loved and they loved having him in the home and it was a very personal service. and there was always work for him. There's too much to do, actually, because everybody needed this kind of uh, serviceman who, who could fix all the smaller tasks in their house. It's not like building a house, but setting up furniture and hanging up a lamp and stuff like this. And yeah, when I got a bit older and, and got into tech, I, I just couldn't help but think, why why isn't there anyone who's done, done this at scale? Like, how can I scale my dad? So that was basically the idea for... Uh, or handy hand, and and I suppose for our listeners who don't know you, Saxo, yeah, how did you get into tech? Why did you choose that route? Uh, I actually started out because I wanted to become a developer, so I did a year in uh, a college um, working on becoming a developer and, and sat with the code and actually enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but I also found that I, I wanted uh, the creative part of it and business part of it. So sort of pivoting that slowly into a career within entrepreneurship, tech entrepreneurship, it just made a lot of sense. Yeah. And what, what did you like do before? Any any sales stuff before? Any big learns or any success stories before you set this up? Well, I, besides like the, <laughs> the art lemonade stand and reselling both and stuff like that, I actually haven't done any any real entrepreneurship before this. Uh, I've always been entrepreneurial and reselling stuff and just making a living as I went. But I've, I've never, this is my first, is what I'm trying to say. 
and and then most of the listeners today will be in uh, TED product data. Yeah, just tell us about the company as it stands today, the setup, kind of what, what you're doing at the moment in terms of people. Sure. So yeah, when when you meet the platform the first time, what you see is this a storefront that looks a lot like how you would assume a platform looks today, like an open market platform such as Airbnb or um, yeah, I think Airbnb is probably the best example. We got listings and and you can sort of uh, it's on demand, so you see all the jobs and you can apply for them. And it's a very basic storefront. Uh, I mean, the design is good and and there's gone into the UI and the user experience. But what lies behind that is a lot more complicated, and we're taking a deep dive to solve this problem. We're actually seeing that that we're not the first company who tried to solve this problem or not when we went into the market in Denmark. And the reason why this is so hard is because you technically got an infinite amount of different kind of tasks. It might seem like okay, you got handyman, you got garden, but when you start subdividing uh, these tasks into smaller categories, you find that there, there are almost no two similar tasks. So how, how do you deal with this? Because if you can't categorize it, if you can't ask your users to put it into a category, and what to do? Um, so we build everything on machine learning uh, to do AI matching of people, where we go in and analyze what kind of tasks compared to hundreds of thousands of prior tasks, and then compare it uh, up against our user modeling of all the service providers on the other side of the business and sort of allow the, the learning to go in and do the matching on, on that behalf. And and then in terms of yourself, in terms of being a co-founder, talk us through the other people over on the app. Yeah, so uh, I was supposed to have Patrick with me on the call here today. Unfortunately, he's sick. And Patrick is my awesome CTO in the company. He is also a co-founder and has helped uh, build the stack or build most of the stack. Uh, it was actually during uh, Corona that we really got this off the ground. And we were just sitting the Silicon Valley style, two guys in an apartment for, uh, for basically four months, just locked down and, and got things um, to the right point. We've been live for about a year at that point, but that's when we really got integrated all the user feedback and got these models up and running that made it big off. And we have one more co-founder who is uh, Chris, who built our app and is the more back-end oriented uh, guy. Uh, yeah, and he's also just an awesome developer. So it's a very technical team, as you can hear. Uh -huh. Yeah, you still got, obviously, still got that startup feel about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're, we're a startup, don't be fooled. <laughs> but then, I suppose, um, you're getting a lot of good traction though yeah so how many kind of like can you talk us through how people actually use the app how they sign up and, and then kind of the journey of how from going from the first customer to how many customers you got today yeah sure so uh, just first off to answer the question about how to use the uh, the website it's very basic try to and make as little barriers to the product as possible. So when you come in as a as a service provider for the first time, you can actually go in, browse all the tasks, um, see if there's anything you'd like to do. So there's no no paywall or anything to get in the system and, and look what's there. And then when you decide, now I'm ready to put down an offer on a task, it'll ask you for a bit more information so that we 
parts uh, just for safety measures, phone number and such. And as you get further along, we'll, we'll allow you to add those pieces of information required by the system, whether it be personal verification, bank account so that you can get paid and so forth. But it's very, um, I'd say, segregated, allowing people to use the system only in the manner that, that they want to. Uh, and the other side of the platform, it's even more easy. Just go in, you write uh, through a simple text form, with, and you can add some images, what you need done. And then again, this machine learning just runs the system and finds out who needs to do your task. Yeah, so that, that's how you get into it. And why is, why is it for you that you'd create the product, for example, without the paywall and, and the focus on simplicity? Yeah, so that come back, comes back to the question about traction. Um, is, there's sort of two ways you can do it. You can do a very managed platform or you can do a free market platform. The more managed platform, you'd see something like maybe the audience you might be uh, familiar with, with Airtasker. Uh, not sorry, not as a task rabbit. Um, who, when you sign up, you don't actually get to choose who you work with. You don't uh, get like different offers at different prices. There's a set price point, and it'll take you through some very rigid steps, and then it'll assign someone. And on one hand, that might be easier, but it also caps the scalability of it, and it also caps the horizontal potential of the platform, because you can only have a certain set of um, tasks that you can do because you have to find everything with a user. So within Happy Hand, we've decided to go the free marketplace route, which gives us some more challenges in terms of controlling the marketplace and making sure it doesn't run rapid because we can't control as much um, directly, but it also allows us to give people the option to post and not about anything, basically. Um, yeah, that's why we went that route. I guess that kind of leads into your question about the traction. Um, and we started out actually being called Pink Floyd. That was the early stage version of the product. And uh, we were we had this name for a year or so, um, and we got about 10,000 users. And while that was a big step for us, it didn't really push it to where we needed to go to become, uh, I guess you could say, uh, a real company, uh, because you need a lot of volume when you're running these kind of platforms because it's not micro transactions, but you, you're taking a transactional fee, which doesn't leave you with that much margin on every task. So what we did at one point was that we contacted a, a huge existing platform in Denmark, which was very much like web uh, one platform, um, maybe really web list in the States, uh, which had a lot of uses, a lot of traction, but it didn't add a lot of value. It was very insecure. It, it didn't actually uh, provide any payment solutions or insurance, anything like that. And we said to them, hey guys, uh, listen up, we're building this amazing product. Uh, we have we have great traction already and we can see that we can actually monetize this product. How do you say, what do you feel about investing your platform and your user group into our company and, and getting a minority stakeholdership in the company? And they were convinced and they thought we were the right ones to do this in Denmark. So we took this huge Craigslist like platform and we took our technology and we just together took their name, which was Handy Hand, rebranded it. And that's um, sort of how we did our first very early stage acquisition, you could say. <laughs> yeah. You moved away from startup now if you talked about mergers and acquisitions. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I suppose a lot of ideas are in tech. Yeah, you've already me- mentioned AI, machine learning, um, how people are on board it, but talk us through the tech in a bit more detail. What tech are you using? How is that used? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so if, if you want to get the uh, nitty gritty with the stack, we're using Angular for the, for the web uh, with the TypeScript. Uh, yeah, to run all the functions on the front end and stuff. Uh, and then back end, we're using uh, Node.js. And then we're running our stack uh, on React Native. I, I just want to be hands down. I'm not the CTO of the company, so I'm doing my work. Yeah, and that's that's the stack. What's What could be interesting to talk about uh, more? Well, as I said, we're using machine learning to both control the marketplace in terms of reducing platform leads. Um, a question that most people have when they hear about an open uh, marketplace is how do you make sure that people don't transact uh, outside the marketplace? And there we use machine learning to go in and figure out are people trying to circumvent the system? Um, do we have bad actors? So to set up these guardrails, uh, these guardrails are just so important when you're building a platform that needs to scale because you can't have manual staff sit and review everything all the time and it's also running at night and at weekends your staff is not there. So you need any learning or some kind of AI if you have an open marketplace to sort of control these mechanisms. Uh, other than that, we're, we're working on something uh, which we're probably going to release this week, which we're pretty excited about, which is a, a new way of estimating prices on, on tasks, which is it's kind of well, if it works, it's a little bit revolutionary because I, to my knowledge, I haven't seen any system that allows you to put a budget on a task without uh, having it being like very specific calculator or something, but custom tip. And how that works is it, it does, um, does a vector analysis on all the text of the task. And then it looks at vectorized versions of all the tasks that's ever gone through the platform, all that's been given and accepted. And it makes weighted averages and it compares it towards our other tagging module, making sure that within sort of one thing is the text contextual uh, analysis that it's close to this task, but it's also within the same vertical. An example could be that you got someone, I need someone to hang two lamps in my apartment and then a task where someone needs every uh, two lamps to be repaired in my apartment. Those are actually two very different tasks. Uh, so it does the textual analysis. Yeah, they look like each other, but then it also differentiates on the um, the category you could say that is assigned by the machine learning. And then from that, it looks what would be an, a weighted average for this task and gives that to the user. And we're very excited about that because that's uh, one of the big pain points when you're building a open marketplaces that in order for people to align on a price, there needs to be a budget set by the user on one side and there needs to be something to give an offer from on the other side, which would be the budget. And it might sound trivial, but that's actually a pain point in our system. And and is that continue continually learning as the prices change and, and new offers are being made and new offers are being accepted? Yeah, exactly. So it's continuous learning and it, it just feeds into itself. Um, and of course, we haven't released it yet. We hope again we hope to do it this week, but We've got to monitor it very carefully and, and only release it on, within certain parameters in the beginning because you don't, uh, 
So some of our concerns is that we might be building a system that starts to do idiosyncrasies within itself that is sort of feeding back wrong data. So I'm telling this user, this task is a thousand. Then he sort of just accepts that and that becomes a new norm. And now we have a user base that's wrongly pricing the task on a continuous basis, teaching that back into the system. So we sort of get like a, a positive feedback loop in a, the negative sense. How, how does um, a startup like yourself um, begin to use machine learning? You got, did you already have the internal talent to do so? Or is it, is it necessary because of the scale you're working at and the size of the company? But uh, just help us for the process. How, how do you actually introduce it? Um, obviously, why you introduced it? And, and how, do you, how do you see it going? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so... On the basis of being being a started with very limited resources and, and having been that for a long time, and especially in the earlier days when we started using machine learning, we sort of had to do everything ourselves. So we couldn't hire anyone to do it. So we just we looked in our network and saw who do we know that knows anything about this, and how do we get them to sit down with us and tell us everything they know about it. And then we basically just did a trial and error process, and with these things. When you're building a team that should needs to be capable of, for example, working with machine learning, it's just going through iterations and iterations of improving the models and trying out things. And and now after a, a year, year and a half of working with machine learning a lot, we now have a team that's quite capable of doing it themselves, which just adds tremendous value because there's such power in, in using machine learnings for uh, optimizing and optimizing processes within the um, so just getting back to uh, the kind of customer, yeah. Um, how do you ensure like customer satisfaction and kind of quality of work from the people who providing? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so what we found is that right now we're of course gathering reviews, um, all the users and, and reviews is a, is a great way of getting feedback from the community on who's who's good actors who's bad actors and so forth uh we even granulated our reviews a bit more so that we don't only ask about like a star on uh, from one to five but we also allow people to give uh more anonymous reviews because that might be a barrier for people to say like i, I don't feel comfortable with someone if they see that i gave there's uh, public and non-public reviews and then another thing that is very important within especially some of our wickles um, is to have the completion rate on the users and because the entire transaction from when we're assigned to the task to the task we can follow the funds and then we you know has this task actually been carried out or not and giving people that bit of information on this might be the most uh, critical small piece of information is like how likely is this person to actually show up and do the task because the person working within uh, the platform economy or gig economy or sharing economy will know that cancellations is one of the biggest problems uh, which is also if you've ever tried being a host on Airbnb you'll see that they are doing so much to prevent you from cancelling uh, reservations, for example. Mm -hmm. and, and is there anything you can do to kind of prevent that type of stuff like Airbnb and do? 
yeah i mean there's there's many things you can do and it's it's all about so for example i was talking about the, the barriers to entry through the product and and we've kept them as low as possible you also want to keep ensure that at least on the service provider side that the barriers are high enough that that the bits that they do become serious and they're they feel committed to them and that there is um evident values to actually doing the work through the platform and and there's real downsides to cancel a task and it's like it's a stick and carrot method and you always just those and and try to look in your metrics like if we add this feature how will that affect if we make this easier will that uh actually help people do it and like get their completion rate higher or will it negatively affect it and sometimes um stuff has consequences both positively and negatively it's sometimes more about what people perceive than what it actually is that they're getting for example i remember when you said Obviously, kind of um, the reason why you set up the company was to effectively scale EDAT. So, have you got any kind of success stories? And um, obviously, apart from your father, hiring of of using this. Yeah, I think we got a lot on both sides of the platform. Um, we had a guy in the office who who had gone from being actually bankrupt because he had he had had another business where he was selling insurance gear and it he had done a big investment that failed to and he couldn't really find work going from that point to to running his own small service business and have a company car and and all just that being enabled through the platform so we've had a couple of these stories that help where we've helped local service providers sort of get their footing because it can be really hard to source tasks when you're service provider or your solo entrepreneur because you have to you have to think about the asymmetry in these industries so you're a solo entrepreneur you can do different kinds of uh, multi-service tasks and you need to advertise yourself and you need to do accounting and you need to do all these things but you're up against companies that has millions at their disposal to do marketing and they have their own um, finance department and all these things that do the same things as you. So how do you solve those tasks? Well, if there's no platform or source where you can sort of level the playing field, you don't really have a chance. But I think we gave that possibility to a lot of our users. Let's talk. Is there any stories you can share on the people who have kind of used these services? Yeah, sure. So we actually have uh, something quite fun recently where we and my my friend sent me a podcast on this thing. Am I called? Um, oh, what's it called? Cannot achieve. You know the type. It's called uh, where they they go out to famous people and they have to guess what kind of person is this. And, and we were listening to that podcast, and then all of a sudden, this um, famous Danish uh, blogger who, who talks about food, as uh, she was, she was like, "Oh yeah," and then I used this amazing product called Handy Hand, where I got this guy out and he made my uh, shelter in my garden it cost uh, eight thousand which might sound like a lot but uh the big service companies wanted twenty two thousand so i saved a lot of money and he was very happy because it was good hourly wage for him because it was just like the sunshine stock that we heard on a podcast out of nowhere so that was that was quite cool how so how do you get this to more people how does it how does this scale and let's face it both of those stories 
they're just nice stories. The, the mission of the company is a nice, genuine mission. So how do you grow this? How do you keep on getting this to more genuine, nice people? Yeah, so um, we're doing multiple things. We're um, One thing we're doing right now, it's not like our main channel or anything, but we're working together with a few other service companies in Denmark that, that has other platforms doing other things, but just trying to sort of see instead of uh, just thinking that we're in competition with each other all the time, we actually acknowledge that there's such a broad field um, that you can target in here that that if we sort of share the good stories between our uh, member groups, that we can build more traction. And that that's actually been quite positive for us. Um, focusing on, on PR quite a bit because uh, it's, it's a product that appeals to a lot of people. So if, if you can sort of get a broad message out that hits quite well. It's not like we have a very small niche. We can be used by basically everyone. And then, um, yeah, just online searches is also a really good channel. Because when you need someone to hang up a lamp, you you, you go on Google and you search uh, for an electrician or someone who can do that. Mm. What about the team that you think, does this grow? Are you going to need to scale the team as you go along with the customers? Or is there a double way you're thinking about scaling talkers through that? Yeah, so in terms of team, um, so far we've basically only scaled on the tech side of the team. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've hired, we have one guy who's doing support, but he's only doing it like halftime. And he's also a developer. And his task is basically um, to replace himself. That's his development task. Yeah. It sounds a little uh, cynical, but but he'll get to do full time development, then, so he's happy. So we just uh, we we're, we're constantly trying to optimize automation, automation flows, and communication to a point where people can self service, and that that's just for the better of everyone. Because uh, if people can find the answers they need, or even better, don't have to find the answers because the communication and the system just works flawlessly well, then it's better for them and it's better for us. So we're very much focused on not scaling the team too much, but being able to scale the platform a lot. Nice, nice. And then, so I suppose for our listeners, I can't imagine, obviously, if people listening who are outside Denmark, maybe in some uh, other North countries that we deal with, if uh, anyone outside Denmark in tech will properly be looking outside to see garden that several grow on a live and meets pick saying all oh, likewise by so interested in machine learning that they want to message you saxophone to say can i kind of come on board and for those for both people how do they get in touch with you for either the business side or even trying to try to help you out on the work side sure yeah so you can find me on linkedin um my name is saxo actestein um or you can uh, shoot me an email. You're always welcome to shoot me an email at saxo at handyhand.dk. Uh, I would love to chat about any of these subjects with uh, anyone uh, willing to do so. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, saxo, need it now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I said, glad to have people um, who had a listen on the podcast. Massive appreciation for people who log in. Massive appreciation there as well. Uh, the link will be available on LinkedIn where you can see Elise Saxo looking fantastic and me not in our normal podcast room because it's been demolished and recreated. Uh, the book fans, nevertheless. Um, so, yeah, cheers, everyone. Have a great day.